Welcome to the 54th episode of Coronavirus the Truth, a podcast that focuses on the facts surrounding COVID-19. I'm Jeremy Kaur, host of the Popular New Books and Medicine podcast and CEO at Executive Podcast Solutions. With me is Dr. Robert Pearl. For 18 years, Robert led the Permanente Medical Group, the nation's largest physician group. He is a healthcare contributor at Forbes.com, a best-selling author, and a professor at both the Stanford University School of Medicine and Business. His book, Uncaring, How the Culture of Medicine Kills Doctors and Patients, was published in May and is receiving industry-wide praise. It can be ordered through his website, robertperlmd.com. All profits will be donated to Doctors Without Borders. Together, we also host the Hit Fixing Healthcare podcast. You can find this episode along with helpful fact-based information on our website, fixinghealthcarepodcast.com. Robbie, as this is our New Year's episode, I thought we might use a different format. Rather than focusing on the past week, let's zoom out to discuss what happened last year and what's likely to transpire in 2022. Listeners should be aware that we're recording this in December, and almost anything can happen before we post it. Let's begin with your perspective on the last 12 months. Jeremy, the word I'd use for 2021 is stalemate. The relative position of both the United States and the rest of the world is approximately the same now as last winter. At that time, we had a new viral variant, Delta. It was about to overwhelm our nation. Now we have a new viral variant, Omicron. That's doing the same. Last January, vaccines offered great hope for the future. And they're being promoted strongly by newly elected President Biden. And after a year in office, he is continuing to do the same. At that time, the nation was optimistic that the US would be able to get the upper hand through science. And now we're hopeful that the combination of boosters and oral medication will be capable of dramatically reducing severe disease and death. At the start of 2021, the political divide was massive in our nation. It spilled into medical science. And today the political divide remains at least as great and continues to skew people's views of the published research. Robbie, you raise many provocative issues. Let's start with the last one. What do you make of this divide over COVID-19 research based on a political affiliation? Jeremy, before I answer the question, I want to differentiate a couple of things. The first is there exists intentional misinformation. These are lies that at least some of the people promoting them recognize. As an example, the original research on vaccines that seemed to link them to autism is an excellent example. The data that was published was made up and manipulated and later rejected by the journals, but not until a huge amount of damage had been done. And then despite knowing the falsification of this information, people quoted the article and pretended it was accurate. Unfortunately, some of that research distortion continues to exist today and be promulgated through and amplified by a variety of social media platforms disseminating misinformation, that's just wrong. It harms patients and it takes lives, but that's not what we're talking about today. I should also point out that not all science is perfect. There are many examples of poorly done research and other examples 
of press release driven communications that were designed predominantly to generate higher prices by obfuscating the complete truth rather than fully educating readers. Fortunately, at some point when this happens, the truth does come out as researchers are required to submit their results for publication in peer-reviewed journals and companies seeking FDA and CDC approval must submit the fuller data sets to these oversight groups. We could avoid some of this medical data distortion if companies were required to provide details of their studies sooner in the process than they are today, but I doubt that will happen anytime soon. So let's set both of these areas of improper information aside. What we see that there's still a massive divide in people's views of the dangers of COVID, the dangers of its variants, the efficacy of vaccination, the need for mask wearing, and the appropriateness of vaccine mandates. And this is where politics plays a big part. We know that opinions about each of these aspects of the pandemic, they vary by age and by education, but the biggest split is political, the split between Republicans and Democrats. When it comes to COVID-19, these two large blocks of Americans disagree on not only the science, but also about the role of the federal government. Is it a reliable source of information? Can public policy be trusted? Should actions, mandates from the government be embraced or blocked? These two parties disagree on whether the greatest threat in COVID-19 is the impact on individuals leading to their death, or whether it's the loss of personal liberty, individual privacy, and freedom. Occasionally, we'll hear one side or the other complain about the reported number of deaths and believe that it's either over or understated. But for the most part, what's happening represents two different worldviews with the data provided chosen to prove one side or the other's preconceived perspective. And with the midterm elections scheduled for this coming November, this divide is likely to increase even more over the next year. And I fear that it will hinder our nation's ability to respond to the current pandemic to respond to the Omicron variant as soon and effectively and successfully as individuals and our country as a whole need. Robbie, what happened across 2021? Jeremy, what we saw was a roller coaster. You know, the end of 2020 holidays were followed by a spike in cases in the winter of 2021, and then spring happened with an optimism that the worst was behind us. Predictions abounded that herd immunity was just around the corner. And then the number of cases spiked again in the fall. 
At the end of 2020, I predicted that we would have over 500,000 deaths before the summer of 2021. And as you know, many listeners thought we were being overly pessimistic. But by year's end, we had experienced 800,000 deaths with a huge spike in new cases staring us in the face as Omicron became the dominant variant. As we said earlier in this show, the end of 2021 and the start of 2021 were almost the same, but in between we saw huge highs and an equal number of lows. What do you see likely to happen in 2022? There's a saying that can be traced back to the ancient Greek poet, Atrilochus. The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. This virus is like the hedgehog. All it knows is how best to be transmitted then replicated and transmitted again. We can be certain that mutations will continue to happen in 2022. And that at some point there will be a next variant even more transmissible than the current Omicron. And when that happens, this next variant will become widely circulated and ultimately dominate and replace Omicron in our nation. Maximizing transmission is the one and only thing this virus knows how to do, and it does it well. Delta was twice as transmissible as the original strain, and it accounted for 99% of cases early in December. Now Omicron, which is at least twice as transmissible as Delta, and probably much more, and most likely better able to evade immunity, whether disease or vaccine generated, it now has replaced Delta in a matter of several weeks. Despite the success of the vaccines, 40% of Americans aren't yet fully vaccinated. So we will see hospitalizations and deaths rising in the early part of 2022. Although the rate of vaccination is slowly creeping up, by the time it gets high enough, I predict that booster shots will become the new definition of fully vaccinated. And as such, we'll be back where we started. Already, there's a diverse group of organizations from the Metropolitan Opera to Georgetown University and NYU to the NFL that are acquiring boosters, at least in professional sports, for coaches and staff. Jeremy, I must admit to being flumoxed that our nation can't get its act together, can't join together to fight this virus. I'm shocked when scientists or elected officials talk about this virus as being cagey, smart, or some other adjective that really just excuses our nation's failures. This coronavirus, it's barely alive. It's a single strand of RNA surrounded by a lipid capsule. It's incapable of independently making copies of itself or generating the energy needed to produce disease it is totally dependent on humans for survival. 
It's about as dumb as a living thinking being, yet time and time again, we let it defeat us. We know that vaccines work well, while alternative approaches are minimally effective. We know that vaccine mandates save lives, and that without them, hospitals will be overwhelmed and people will die. We know that masks and social distancing slow transmission, but that ultimately immunity is the only way to protect people and move our nation forward. And yet our country continues to have 50 different answers with even the courts coming to opposite conclusions on issues like the legality of mandates and whether the federal government has the ability to implement a common approach to protect workers from this virus. COVID doesn't recognize state boundaries. It's carried by people from one jurisdiction to another. The only logical thing to have is a single national, if not a global approach. And yet, I predict that this confusion will continue and potentially even expand in 2022. Jeremy, when it comes to you and your son, what do you plan to do differently now that Omicron has arrived compared to what you expected to do a mere month ago? Robbie, I honestly don't know what I'm going to be doing differently. I feel like, yes, I should be a little bit extra cautious with him, but I also know that at his age, he has a very, very low chance of serious illness or death. Um, school has not been moved remotely as of yet, but they're still requiring masks just like they were before winter break. I think over the last couple of weeks, it was just coming to terms with the fact that it is not if he will get Omicron, but when. It is great to hear that it is less severe than Delta. His education and social development are extremely important to me, and in my opinion, uh, the risks that come along with moving a young child his age to remote learning greatly outweigh the risks that come with him contracting COVID-19. Robbie, let me get your thoughts on some specific areas. What do you see with the new oral pills to help people who are not vaccinated avoid becoming severely ill? Jeremy, I predict that the FDA will approve the Pfizer pill early in 2022, but that the clinical benefit will be less than people hoped. The reason will be around the timing. The pill, actually eight pills a day for five days, needs to be taken early in the disease process. And that requires being tested at the first sign of symptoms. And to get tested takes effort and time. So it's not that the medication will reduce hospitalizations and deaths for those who get the pills at the appropriate time. It's just that rather than protecting 90% of people from severe disease as vaccination does, the medication will help a much smaller percentage of unvaccinated individuals. What about a next set of vaccines? I predict the vaccine manufacturers will create a next generation vaccine that targets probably both Delta and Omicron and that they'll do it before the end of 2022. The reason for that prediction is that the gap is widening between what the currently available vaccines do and what would be optimal. It's true that with a booster, antibody levels can be raised high enough to protect people from severe disease. But possibly 
a vaccine that was specific for the current viruses could stop infection better in the first place. You know, it's interesting to me, Jeremy, that sports teams that have been leaders in testing players frequently are now planning to test only when individuals have symptoms. And the reason is that a boosted vaccine is effective in preventing severe disease, but that when a player tests positive, they're not allowed to get onto the field. We're seeing a growing number of these breakthrough infections, even if they're mild in the vaccinated and in the boosted, but they prove very disruptive to people's lives and they risk transmission to others. Hopefully a highly specific vaccine will be effective at preventing people from becoming infected in the first place. And that will be important both to protect the lives of the unvaccinated as well as to allow us to return to a more normal educational process, a more financially secure business process, particularly for small businesses and a society in which people experience less of the emotional and psychological difficulties that a third year of this pandemic will produce. In 2022, assuming Omicron continues to be as highly transmissible and capable of evading previous immunity as we currently think, the demand for such a vaccine will grow. Today, the vaccine manufacturers can sell their original FDA-approved version safely. A new vaccine introduces some risk that they'd rather avoid. But if the data show it to be far more valuable than what's available today, there will come a time over the next 12 months when the pressure on manufacturers to come up with a next generation vaccine will become just too great for them not to do so. We know the companies have the technology now and we believe they're already working on the opportunity. I think it's only a matter of time until they bring such a vaccine to market. What are your best guesses on how the courts will rule on vaccine mandates? Here I'm a bit more optimistic. Based on comments from the Supreme Court members, I think the justices, most likely in a divided opinion, will decide that the federal government has the ability to mandate vaccination without needing additional congressional action. Omicron, I predict, will be the game changer. Already there are stories about events in which 150 people were in attendance and over half became infected. The numbers are just too high to ignore the danger in people who are unvaccinated. And without broad vaccination, the threat to the nation of overwhelming our hospitals and further risking public health, I believe will lead the court to support the executive branch's mandates and those of private employers. An interesting question will be where our nation comes down on boosters and how they will factor into the equation. As I said earlier, I think by the end of 2022, fully vaccinated will mean 
having had a booster. Will that be mandated? It will be recommended, but will the federal government and will the courts make this part of the process? That's too early to predict. What other impact does this next wave of infections portend? I worry about the psychological impact the renewal of social distancing will have on people in general and children in particular. We're seeing schools closing to in-person education. We've seen many events being canceled. You know, Jeremy, there are kids entering kindergarten next fall who will have spent half of their lives wearing masks and experiencing daily parental concerns. There's some 12 and 13 year olds who have missed all of middle school with their important social coming of age activities and experiences. And adults who've had to maneuver through continual challenges, a fear will become increasingly tired and frustrated. I'm very worried about how these challenges to our mental health and emotional well-being will pose threats in our life. I suspect for those unvaccinated, travel at some point in the coming year will be restricted. Proof of vaccination, I believe, will be needed not only to fly internationally, but also in the United States. And proof of vaccination will become as routine at clubs and bars as showing an ID is to prove that you're over the age of 21 today. Last summer, most people assumed the worst of the pandemic was over and that life would become easier and more normal soon. For the next 12 months at least, these hopes have been dashed. The impact that people who are unvaccinated and undervaccinated is having on those who are vaccinated and boosted has increased in the context of Omicron. As the new year begins, patience is running out. In 2022, more and more people, I believe, will demand that we and that the government and that businesses do what it can to restore a semblance of order, control, and normalcy in our lives. I fear that as we enter the third year of this pandemic, that we are nearing the end of our tolerance and resilience. Jeremy, you live in the heartlands of the country. What are you seeing now? And how has the mood and level of tolerance changed? Ravi, a few weeks ago, I would barely see any masks anywhere around town. Um, you'd, you'd see a handful at stores. Um, but if I went downtown where it is more politically blue, you would see more masks than anywhere else, but only among the older crowd. I really never saw college students wearing masks unless they were working somewhere. Um, now the college kids are gone for winter break, uh, but I am seeing more people wearing masks around town. I've heard through friends that work in the restaurant industry that less people are going out to eat and drink. Um, I don't see many people on TV wearing masks at the basketball games or other sporting events, though. I think in general, people are being more cautious, but it's nothing like it was at the beginning of the pandemic. Honestly, I hear people more concerned about the schools going remote again and how they'll deal with that or local businesses being hurt than I do concerns for the virus. I think a lot of the mindset around here is that at this point, 
people that want to be vaccinated are people that want to be boosted are people are taking the precautions they want to um people aren't nearly as scared of COVID as they were in the beginning of the pandemic and similarly to what i said in my previous answer i think with the explosion in COVID cases because of omicron and people kind of realizing that the the vaccines aren't preventing them from getting it in any way just reducing the severity i think people are coming to terms with the fact that it is when not if they're going to get uh, COVID, and have they done what they feel is appropriate to prevent severe illness once they get it robbie who do you blame for continued difficulties jeremy i don't really blame anyone although some of the people who are promoting false information have made the problem worse what i see is that our society is unable to take the actions required to win a battle with an enemy that is unwavering in what it does. We know exactly what this virus will do, but rather than anticipating it and being proactive, we continue to wait for problems to arise and to address them when it is too late. Wayne Gretzky, one of the greatest hockey players in history, is said to have credited his success to always skating to where the puck will be rather than where it happens to be at that moment. We seem to skate to where it was yesterday rather than where it will be tomorrow. We act as though the virus's transmissibility will remain constant when the most likely outcome is that it will increase. We assume that the protection afforded by disease or immunization will remain as effective in the future as today, but it won't. We anticipate there's just a matter of time until science eradicates this threat, but without full cooperation by Americans, it won't happen. Fortunately, at least so far, our assumption that the virus won't become more lethal is continuing to be true. But as we've said in prior podcasts, that's not guaranteed. There are even some policy experts who are banking on this pandemic ending through this virus becoming less lethal. And although it may happen, it would only be by chance. Omicron proves very transmissible early in the infection. By the time people die, they will have spread it to many others. The reason many viruses become less lethal is because people who die no longer spread the virus. And that process of transmission doesn't happen in the early days. That is simply not the case with Omicron. The competitive advantage of killing a few less infected people late in their disease is very minor compared to the ease of transmission early in the process. I hope it happens, but there's little evidence that that is how this pandemic will end. What it will require is that we as a nation decide all together to act differently. And so far, that goal is elusive. Overall, our political, legal, and societal systems are inadequate to respond effectively to a virus that doesn't recognize politics, laws, or geographic boundaries. And as a result, rather than leaders, scientists, and citizens uniting 
to minimize deaths and maximize people's lives, the virus has taken advantage of our lack of unity, inability to communicate clearly, and unwillingness to take the uncomfortable actions that will be needed to gain the upper hand. Do you have any major predictions for next year? What we can expect is a repeat of this year with cases and deaths happening at an unacceptably high level and spiking after the holidays and during the times of year when people tend to gather together, particularly indoors. Won't be surprising if there's another variant of concern, potentially one that's even more transmissible or better able to elude the immunity generated following vaccination or infection today. We will pass a million deaths long before the year is over. And despite the optimism generated by a variety of new drugs that may have the potential to prevent serious illness and treat patients, the results will be far less salutary than most Americans hope. The president will continue to urge vaccinations and will urge boosters and boosters will become the new normal the mental health and emotional well-being of people will fray even more than today. The partisan divide will grow even wider. As the year progresses, as foxes, we will invent new solutions to keep COVID at bay. But as a hedgehog, the virus will continue to do the one thing it knows best. At some point, enough immunity will be generated across the country for a nation to reach an endemic state. At that time, there will be a low level of disease throughout the United States, but with scattered outbreaks in different states. When we reach the endemic state, I believe it should be a moment for celebration, but I predict people will perceive it as a failure. I'm rooting for it to happen by the end of 2022, but I doubt it will. Hopefully it will be in 2023. If listeners are vaccinated, they've received the booster and they're relatively healthy, they shouldn't be extremely fearful of becoming severely ill. But anyone who remains unprotected, please get vaccinated this week. In 2022, your life and those you love are dependent on it. I wish all listeners a healthy and peaceful new year. As a reminder to listeners, this episode is available on our website, fixinghealthcarepodcast.com, and on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and share it with your friends and family. To submit a question or comment to the host, please visit the contact page on our website or send us a message on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Thank you for listening to Coronavirus The Truth, and have a great day.